You're listening to Recovery Podcast, a production of Volunteers of America. My name's Nick, and I want to thank you for joining us this week for episode 52. At Volunteers of America, we are a ministry of service, seeing broken people physically, emotionally, and spiritually healed and thriving in their lives. Our team brings you recovery podcasts twice a month with stories, interviews, and insights for all those seeking to live their best life. It's our goal to inform, engage, and inspire all who listen. Subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to get it delivered twice each month. If you like what you hear, please, please subscribe and leave us a review. It helps so much. And now for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us for part one of a two-part podcast. We will be back with part two in a couple of weeks. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Recovery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to our guest today. Uh, Today we have therapist, author, and podcast host, Dr. Allison Cook. She specializes in bringing faith and psychology together to create real change in people's lives. And this is her third episode with us here on Recovery Podcast. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I love being here with you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So I remember having a discussion with you um, back when our podcast was dis- uh, first beginning, uh, and and now you have over eight, uh, 70 episodes, sorry, with over a million downloads in your first year. Is that right? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. Uh, it's a beautiful opportunity. I love it. Yeah. Man, congratulations. Yeah. It's so fun. We've been talking a little bit about just the reach that podcasts have yes. and, and the power that they have with people. And I'm super grateful for the platform that uh, you know allows us to share these stories and insights. Uh, I'm excited for this moment as we begin to pull back the curtain on grief in recovery a little bit. This episode and these talks have been coming for a while, um, and it's so important for people to give that space for grief. Oh, yeah. I don't think we do that well. Yeah. And, and sometimes just a reminder that if you've experienced trauma different things, you're going to go through a a time of grief. And sometimes how we experience that or allow that to happen makes all the difference for the future. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's such uh, an important piece for us to think about, to talk about. So that's our, that's our point for today. So thanks for allowing us to walk through this. Well, I want to begin with just a basic overview of of grief. So um, most people associate grief with death right? Because that's the conversation that, that happens. You get a book and people, you know, mourn and say, I'm so sorry. And yet grief really is experienced through the loss of anything, right? How, why does this happen? Yeah, I think grief, we start to grieve probably from very shortly after the moment we are born, right? We mm. are, grief is anything that is associated with pain, right? And so any moment of feeling abandoned, of feeling alone, of feeling 
rejected, a feeling by yourself, a feeling isolated, a feeling unsafe. There's grief associated with those yeah. moments. There's that feeling of sorrow. It's actually healthy. If we didn't feel grief in those moments, that would be more of a problem because those things are hard. We do want to grieve those experiences of isolation, of being alone, of being separated, of being abandoned, whatever those moments of pain are. So grief in and of itself is not the problem. It's a baseline mm. experience of being human. It's what we do with the grief. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I've heard many people say, um, you know, I must be immune to grief. Uh, that's not a thing, is it? I, th- <laughs> I think if you're immune to grief, honestly, I would I would start getting curious about that. I would think there's probably some protective mechanisms in place, maybe some numbing mechanisms in place that are keeping you from the experience of grief because we don't like, you know, grief is hard. Again, it's associated with sadness, but it's an emotion that we absolutely need to feel and how we are with ourselves when we're grieving makes all the difference in how healthy we are. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you're listening today and you think, I don't need to hear about grief, please, you do. please, yeah, give this a moment, dig in with us and and pay, pay attention um, as we go through our time. We all experience grief uh, and, and it can be extremely painful. Um, many try to cope with that pain by numbing and uh, they get through, you know, they start using up substances. And, and again, our, our podcast, Recovery Podcast, that's a lot of the dialogue that we have here. Um, why do you think uh, that numbing or, or addiction, those type of things, is, is such an attractive choice for people? You know, I think, honestly, I think those behaviors start early on. As I said, we start experiencing sadness really early on. And if no one comes to us in our sadness and soothes us through it. If we don't have parents or caregivers that teach us that it's okay to be sad and that the the solve of sadness, the solace of sadness is being with somebody else, right? Is the comfort of somebody coming along beside of you. Well, guess what we do? Even as young kids, we pick up coping devices that yeah. sometimes aren't healthy. We got to get rid of that sadness somehow. And so maybe you didn't turn to alcohol or drugs as a young child. Maybe some of you did, but others of us turn to food or we turn to, you know, lots of ways to numb that feeling of grief. There's so many ways. And then they'll stay with us into adulthood. We yeah. don't know how to be with our grief because no one ever taught us how. And so we just continue down that path of numbing it. Yeah. So we really discovered that grief is this huge contributor to addiction, uh, to, to those things that we're, we're, again, trying to numb. And when we combine that with trauma that's left unprocessed, can really be devastating. Yeah. Uh, how often do you see substance use intertwined with grief and trauma in the work that you do? I mean, always. And I guess if we're talking about substances specifically as a drug or alcohol, I don't typically work with that as a primary. You know, it's more of a secondary. That being said, I really am of the opinion that most of us are addicted to something, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whether it's codependent behaviors of pleasing other people, whether it's performing and producing, whether it's workaholism, whether it's, you know, different degrees of impacts. There's some of the more maybe socially acceptable forms of addiction that unfortunately don't get called out, but should be. Um, but we're all doing it on some level. It's, 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 and it's always, 
a way, and this is why there's never any room for shaming yourself if you're doing this. It's always a way to cope with pain. It's a, it's an inferior way to cope with pain. It's not what we need in our pain, but that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so giving ourselves the opportunity to grieve in healthy ways is, is this huge priority. And yet again, as we said, many people don't push into it. They don't think they have an issue there. So in the web of addiction recovery, there are many spaces of grief. Uh, through this episode, we're going to touch on a few of these, uh, realizing that it, really this is just a brief uh, overview. So I want to talk about grief for the individual in their substance use uh, to, to start off. Not, not only is it important uh, to grieve the losses that they've experienced, but it's also important to grieve the loss of their addiction, right? Mm. What do you think about that? I, th- I love that you're saying that. I think that is so important. We form a relationship, a sort of friendship. Granted, it gets toxic, obviously, mm. with these substances, with the objects of our addiction. In many ways, it's how we learn to survive. It's how we coped. It became that friend that we turned to because we didn't know how to cope with the pain. And so I love what you're saying. There's a way in which as we give up something, even something that is ruining our lives, even something that is unhealthy for us, that is toxic for us, we we don't we want to in a way befriend the part of us that was turning to that out of pain. And there's a grief there. There's a grief in saying, no more. We can't go back down that ro- what, that road. That road is not healthy for us. I see it. I see you. That we have to. It's how we talk to ourselves. We have to be gentle with ourselves. I see you wanting to go down that road. Mm-mm. Not going to let you do that. And it's how we parent. We would want to parent a young child with firm boundaries. No, no, we're not going to go down there. But not with shame and not with blame and not with with anger. And instead, even honoring. Yeah, I get it. You you. That, there were things down that road you liked. You know. It's not good for you, so I'm not going to let you do it anymore. So there's a way we honor the grief of letting that go. We also honor the grief of some of the aspects of that lifestyle that we're now letting go. Some of those old relationships that, yeah, maybe they're not healthy for us, but there was some good there. Life is messy. You know, there were things we enjoyed about that lifestyle. So it's okay to honor that grief and go, I've got to let that go. I actually think it's healthier. I think when you do honor the grief, you have a better shot at actually breaking free from the addiction. Yeah. Instead of sticking our head in the sand and saying, it'll just all get better. Yeah. That's denial. Exactly. <laughs> That's not going to work. So. No, it's a really hard choice. You're actually you're at a fork in the road, and you are looking down a path. You're saying, I'm not going to take that path anymore. And and that's hard. There's a way in which that path, you know, it wasn't great, but it's a choice that I, I need to grieve as I move down. And you're going to move down that new path so much better, so much more successfully. If you've done the work of grieving, the path you didn't, you've decided to no longer take. Yeah. Recovery Podcast is focusing our episodes in November on the topic of grief. This theme runs through addiction and recovery in multiple ways, from the loss of loved ones in their active addiction, to walking away when boundaries weren't respected, and even those of us grieving the loss of our old life in addiction as we walk in the newness of recovery. Dr. Allison Cook, author of Boundaries for the Soul and her new book, The Best of You, will be our guest as we share stories and discuss insights to help us all grow and heal with the Lord's guidance. And don't forget to like and share this with your friends. You never know who needs to hear hope today. So what we're talking about there, I think, is is this idea of all these coping mechanisms, right, that we come up with, and we have a way of of building them into our life um, in a 
again, a, a really powerful way. Yeah. They become idols, yeah. really, yes. in our life, right? Yes. And and so to to change that, we really have to change routines, habits, relationships. Uh, this can be extremely challenging. Yes. And again, a part of that yes. grieving process, right? Yeah. Um, what do we do without coping me- mechanisms, right? How do we move it, forward healthy ways? Oh, it's such a great question because we actually need coping me- mechanisms. We need healthy ones. Mm. Because if you think about it, if we're when you're tempted to pick up the bottle or whatever it is in that moment, you're experiencing some pain. So you do need something in that moment. You need comfort. You need a healthy coping strategy. Maybe you need to move your body. Maybe you need a hug. Maybe you need to have a conversation with a friend. Maybe you need to do something kind for yourself, right? So it's always about replacing with something healthy that's actually going to give you the nourishment you need in that moment. It's a counterfeit comfort, those addictions, those objects that we, 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 you know, reach for that we've become addicted to. They're counterfeit comforts. They're not actually giving us the comfort that we need. They're helping us numb. They're helping us suppress. So we have to identify and you got to do the work ahead of time, prepare for it. Mm. You can't just hope to get lucky in that moment of, you know, having that impulse to want to numb. You've got to, no, no, I've got this list of five things over here that are actually going to give me the comfort I need in this moment. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I think that we want to we want to highlight because it's part of what we do is the idea of of having counseling, therapy, yes. help in that way. Yeah. Those are not negative things. No. Those are positive exactly. life changing things exactly. that that healthy people use as right. uh, routines throughout their life, right? These are mechanisms that healthy people use to move forward. Whether it's your therapist, whether it's an AA sponsor, whether it's someone in your church community who you've said, hey, can you be somebody? I'll call. This is health. This isn't being weak. This isn't being needed. This is how God designed us, right? When you're hurting, if you think back to when you were a young child, what did you need when you were hurting? You needed to not be alone. You needed someone who loved you, who said, I'm with you. I see it. I'm here. It's no different as an adult, whether, again, it's a therapist or somebody you've tapped to say, I'm hurting in this moment or I have a need in this moment or I'm struggling in this moment. That's the beauty of the body of being the hands and feet of Christ to each other, being in relationship with each other. We get the privilege of being that for the people that we love and, and receiving that from other people. It's part of our healthy design. Yeah, that's so that's so yeah. spot on. Um, so just thinking about our recovery programs here uh, at the Volunteers of America, you know, we offer this 90-day in-house intensive program. And and this is because we believe it provides necessary tools for recovery. That that whole three-month period that people get here. It helps them recognize and grieve those past habits while helping them to build healthy new ones, right? So we're actually talking about the fact that they get this extended leave. And and I just heard a conversation the other day where somebody was was saying, man, they want me to go in for three months and I have to walk away from my job. And uh, you know what? You have already let, by the time treatment is a possibility for you, you've already let all these things in your life become so overwhelming that now you're faced with this spot of of needing to have something more intensive so that you can have the life change that's going to last you Mm -hmm. into the future. And, And hopefully 
as we do it, into eternity, right? This exactly. is about higher power relationship and walking in, in a wholeness that you'd never experienced. Exactly. And, and you're worried about giving up three little months of your life exactly. when you've spent this whole time exactly. <laughs> digging this hole of yes. addiction and grief and shame and all these yes. things, right? Yes. So you you one of the things that you did is you wrote about this idea of scheduling these grief check-ins with God, yourself, and others. Uh, just maybe give it a couple ideas. What does that look like for people? Yeah, I, I I think you have to have these scheduled because the best of us just resist, right? This idea of reaching out for help, even though I love what you're saying. It's actually part of how we'll be living with each other in heaven. This is part of our redeemed state, not right? part of our fallen right? state. Yeah. Um, so scheduling a weekly check-in, and it could be with a therapist. There's so many ways to get therapy these days. There are online platforms. There are affordable platforms, um, just having that person that's checking in with you every week. Maybe it's a mentor. Like I said, someone you ask for from church. Maybe it's a trusted friend. Maybe it's a sponsor. But the bottom line is you've got it scheduled so that you're not hoping, you know, you're not counting on yourself to reach out. You, it's it's Wednesday at noon. It's going to be there, and that person is going to be um, asking you, how are you doing? Um, schedule time with God. Schedule time with God. Schedule grief time. And I will say this to people who are going through intense grief. You don't have to feel it all the time. In fact, you, you don't want to. You got to go to work. You got to take care of your kids. But tell yourself, you know, Saturday at 10, I'm going to get my journal and a book and I'm going to go to this place that is soothing to me by a river, whatever, and let the tears fall and journal about it and let God know everything you're feeling and keep that appointment with yourself and with God mm. because that's important for this process of grieving as you grieve a little bit. You learn how to tolerate grief. It, it keeps it from getting big. When we learn how to tolerate little bits of grief on a regular basis, it keeps grief from overwhelming you and hijacking you in big ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think even, right, talking about um, once you're through, if you did treatment, if you've been either outpatient or inpatient, whatever that looks like, your your continued walk of recovery the grief process doesn't stop no. No. after that 90 days, right? No. It, it's something that you're going to work through. And so scheduling those times, yes. those healthy moments to have a, a personal time, to have God time, yeah. to to take that break. Yes. And I, you know, I've been walking in recovery for going on 27 years, and I still need to get up in the mountains yes. and have a little bit me of stream too. time talking to my fish buddies uh, yes. <laughs> because it's just really healthy for me. And I yes. recognize that. And you become aware of areas of grief, of things that are sad. But again, as you tend to your sadness, it's a human emotion. Jesus had sadness. It's it's not part of our fallen state. It's a part of our human state. And so I love what you're saying. We need to be prepared for it. And as you attune to it, as you pay attention to it and notice, oh, you know, there's that grief. It keeps it from getting big. It's a paradox, right? The more we tend to it and let it come out in small ways, it keeps it from, again, overwhelming us. When we least suspect it, it hijacks us. Yeah. And then we do stuff we wish we hadn't done because we can't handle it because it's so painful. Yeah. Well, I think one of the real gifts of the recovery process is learning the tools to continue a life of recovery. It's yes. not about, yes. oh, I'm going to take this 90 days and I'm going to step out then and I'm going to be healed Yes. after 90 days. And and boy, if I'm not, I'm sure going to be mad at everybody that made me go through this process, right? It's about yeah. now I have these tools in place to when those moments of trauma, those moments of grief, those moments of pain, whatever it might be yeah. come my way, I have this foundation of tools I can use to move forward. Exactly. And I think recognizing that, yep. that 
man, to, to take time for me to learn those tools and not just read them and get the uh, message in my head, but actually habituate them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I need to walk through a process that helps me dig these into a routine in my life yes. so that I have them. Exactly. And the tools become more natural. They become, like, I love what you said about fishing. They actually become part of our, the things we love and enjoy, the things that bring us life, even as we're relying on those tools to help us cope. Yeah. Right? They yeah. become these these rhythms of life they do. that just help us live a really healthy, full, whole life. Well, I, I think about going back to talking about Jesus again. I love the fact that he shows us that he didn't just go to these 12 disciples and say, here's the list of 10 things I need you guys to, to do. Yeah. Go out and do it. He spent a chunk of his yeah. life walking with them right. and mentoring this out, yeah. actually building these habits with yes. them so that when he was physically gone in his body, he empowered them to walk through the grief and the challenges that would come next, it's right? So good. Wow. Yep. Yep. Love that. Yep. So we talked about great tools for individuals in grief that are kind of walking out their own recovery, but I also want to talk about family members and friends of those who are living in this active addiction place. It's so hard. Um, how are they dealing with grief in the process of addiction? Any any thoughts, ideas on what that might look like? Yeah. It, again, it's a great question because, right, so we've done all this conversation about how we're all grieving in, on some level. We're all carrying griefs with us. Again, they, the more we tend to them, the less they take us out. So are the people we love. And sometimes we have been the cause of the people we love's grief. And we have to be – the more we are okay – with honoring our own grief in a healthy, healthy way, the more we create space for the people we love to have their grief, right? We have to know that our spouses, that our kids may be harboring their own pain as a result of even our actions. I mean, man, this happens to me and my family. Like, if you've been married for a day or two, you know, you're going to be loving somebody and simultaneously aware that habits that I have or things that I've done are, are causing them pain. You know, you try to minimize that, but that's just the reality of being human. So one of the gifts that we give to the people we love, whether it's our kids, whether it's our spouses, whether it's our friends, is it's okay. It's okay. I can honor you. I don't have to fix you. I don't have to fix your grief. I don't have to rescue. I don't have to be so perfect that you never feel it. The gift that I give you is the space to feel it and to honor it. And and then we're kind of oddly in it together, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sad too. I'm sad too. I wish, you know, I think about, I think marriage is such a great analogy of this. It's like, I want to be perfect for, you know, my spouse. I can't. And so we kind of grieve together. And in that we find connection, right? When we can honor someone else's grief, it's not, it's not because there's no shame in that is what I'm trying to say. There's no shame, if I've caused someone I love pain, I feel sorrow over that. That's healthy grief. When I'm not beating myself up, when I'm not hating myself, you know, when I'm not on a toxic spiral, I can actually hold that with you. I can actually honor the fact that your grief and my grief can exist side by side. Thank you for joining us for part one of a two-part podcast. We will be back with part two in a couple of weeks. Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Volunteers of America. If you heard something that strikes a chord, shoot us an email at recoverypodcast at voanr.org. 
Today's music is courtesy of Free Music Archive. This week you heard tunes by Ketza, who also composed our theme music. Links to the artists can be found at our website. Thanks for listening, rating, and most importantly, for sharing this podcast with your friends and family.